Our series is called The Word, and it deals with a wonderful book in the Bible, a wonderful chapter in the Bible. In fact, it is the longest chapter in your Bible, Psalm 119. And it was written by an anonymous psalmist. Many people think David wrote it, but there are uh, uh, psalms uh, in this collection, the, the book of Psalms that were written long after David lived and died. So when we don't see his name on a psalm, there are 75 that we know that he wrote, but when we don't see his name on a psalm, it's anybody's guess, really. And so we'll just go with what we know for sure. This was written by an anonymous individual, but don't let that throw you, because this anonymous individual, whoever they were, whenever they lived, and however they put this beautiful chapter, this beautiful song, this psalm together, they obviously had a profound appreciation and a passionate desire for the Word of God. And as I said last week, that is absolutely remarkable when you stop to consider that this psalmist, this writer, he didn't even have a complete Old Testament, let alone a complete Bible. Throughout these verses, 176 of them, he addresses his words directly to the Lord in a combination of praise and prayer. He is not satisfied at all to have the word only in his home or only in his hand or even only in his head. He wants the word of God in his heart where it can change his life. And so the emphasis in Psalm 119 is on the ministry of the Word in the life of God's people. This psalm, this chapter, describes how the Word enables us to grow in holiness and in our obedience to God. It shows us how the Word can help us to handle the pressures and even the persecutions that always accompany a life and a walk of faith. Nearly every verse in this psalm contains a direct mention of the Word of God. Uh, about 171 out of 176 verses directly mention the Word of God. So literally, this chapter, this psalm, is the Word of God talking about the Word of God. And the writer uses different words. We covered this last week. Different words to describe the word. He calls it law and judgments and testimonies, precepts and commandments and statutes. He calls it the way of God. And of course, many times he just calls it the word of God. Christians don't read the Bible as a textbook. We don't read it as a law book. We read it as a love letter from us to God. The way we love and obey the Word of God is the way. It reveals the way. It's identical to the way that we love and obey the God who gave us the Word. You can't separate the God of the Word from the Word of God. Your response to one is your response to the other. In 2008, an author, uh, then a, a pastor named Francis Chan, wrote a, a book called uh, Crazy Love. And he did a group DVD, a small group study uh, to go with it. 
And uh, I was watching, I think it's in part five of that group study DVD. Here's what he said, quote, If all you had was the Bible, would you come to the conclusion after reading it that to become a Christian, you would just pray a prayer and ask Jesus to come into your heart? Is that really what you would find? Or if you only had the Bible, would you come away thinking, I need to repent, be baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit? What would you believe if you just had the Bible? End of quote. I thought it was remarkable. Francis Chan isn't part of our fellowship. To my knowledge, he's uh, not in any particular Pentecostal denomination, but he's just an honest man making a tremendous comment. Now, on the one hand, the Word of God is shallow. Everybody say shallow. What I mean by that is if you read the Bible with an open, unbiased heart, you will find the message of salvation. The basic truths that you need to know are right on the surface. It's at a shallow depth. You don't have to work very hard, especially in the New Testament, to find repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, the infilling of the Holy Ghost, living a holy life to please God, don't imitate the world, pray, be a witness, stay ready for his return. You don't have to dig very deep to find any of those things. It's all there at a shallow depth. And that's why the prophet Isaiah said these words. He said, and an highway shall be there, and a way, and it shall be called the way of holiness. Now watch this. The unclean shall not pass over. If you want to live in sin, if you want to be deceptive, if you want to try to pull one over on God, you're not going to get on this road. But it shall be for those, the wayfaring men, though fools, shall not err therein. You don't need a degree in Greek and Hebrew to figure out how to serve God if you've got a Bible. You don't need to have all kinds of education and all kinds of pedigree in the Pentecostal church to have a great relationship with God. The wayfaring man, no matter where he came from, no matter what his history is, he can have a destiny in God that will blow your mind because he won't err if he just follows the simple truth of the Word of God. Everybody say shallow. So on one hand, the Word of God is shallow. All the basics are where anybody can easily reach them. But on the other hand, the word of God is deep. Everybody say deep. deep. Now, some preachers, they love it when people walk away saying, that was deep. And what people usually mean when they walk out of a service and say, that was deep, that means they didn't understand a word that man was saying. That's usually what that means. So I don't want to be deep, but let me tell you, the word of God is deep. You could examine this book for 10,000 lifetimes and never exhaust its beauty and its revelation. You see, the Bible that we cherish, it's like a gold mine. Treasure after treasure after treasure are available to those who will simply make the effort to dig beyond its surface. How do you know the difference between reading the Word and studying the Word of God? Simple difference. Use a pen or a pencil. 
That's the only difference between reading the word of God and studying the word of God. You, you let God talk to you through the word and you have some place, some system where you can jot it down. It doesn't have to be profound. The simplest kind of study is underlining something and write in the margin of your Bible uh, what God's speaking to you. And you might come to church and find out that God was right and you were wrong in your impression, but that's okay. That's learning. You did it with the alphabet, so you're okay. But, but here's the thing. If you don't have any time when you can get into the Word and get the Word into you, you're missing this massive dimension of the Christian life. And, and so you, you need to get the Word into you. You need to let the, the, get yourself into the Word by, by not just reading it, but meditating on it and studying it because you'll find treasure after treasure if you just make the effort to dig a little bit. And so that's why we study the word of God. Here's what Solomon said 3,000 years ago. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing. Now, you might not like that, but that's God's business. He's God, and he decided that he gets glory when he conceals something. And so in his word, he has hidden beautiful, powerful treasures of revelation. But look at this. But it is the honor of kings to search out a matter. We are a royal priesthood. We are kings and priests with God. It is the honor of kings. It's the honor of Christians to search out the word of God. That's why we study it. Now, listen to me very carefully here. That is exactly what we are doing in this midweek series. We are studying the Word of God. You can get hundreds of people for a concert. You can get a, even more for a potluck. You can get lots of people for an exciting service. But, but when you're a Christian, when when, when this is so important to you, you love to study the Word of God. And this is why we have Bible study every week in the first place. We are digging deep in the Word of God. Why? So we can experience its beauty and its revelation and its power. Now, hear me clearly and plainly. You don't need to know anything I will say tonight to get saved. Nothing I will say tonight you don't need to know it to get saved. That's an easy message, and we preach it often in our church, in many of our services, especially when we're reaching for new people. But studying the love letter that God left for you, it'll give you spiritual strength that will help you to stay saved after you get saved. I'm so glad God didn't give us a Bible that was one page long, say, do this, this, and this, and good luck. God gave us his word that you could study your entire life, and if you live to be 150, you'll still be mining treasure out of the word of God that will help you and strengthen you. So if you need to get saved, we'll work on that. We'll preach it to you. It's an easy message. It's in the shallow end of the Word of God. But in Bible study, we try to dig deeper because we want saints. My, my greatest goal is to get you to love the Word of God, get curious about the Word of God, get hungry and thirsty for the Word of God, and just go digging. Have yourself an archaeological expedition and just enjoy yourself. That's what I love to do. Even the structure 
of Psalm 119 is amazing. We talked about this last week as we introduced this chapter. It's due to the organization of the author and the inspiration of God. And Psalm 119 is written as an acrostic poem. It has eight lines in each of 22 sections. The Hebrew alphabet has 22 letters. And the 22 sections of Psalm 119 follow that pattern. With each of the eight lines, or we would say eight verses, in each of the sections, beginning with the same letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Now, on the screen, as you see that scroll by, Hebrew reads, not like English, from left to right, but from right to left. And the letters sometimes have little vowel markings under them or around them. But every verse in each of those sections begins with the same letter, which just happens to be the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet in order. It is absolutely remarkable. It was through the Hebrew language. Sorry, all you English speakers and all you French speakers. It was through the Hebrew language that God originally revealed himself to mankind. And what a beautiful language it is. Tonight, because of the unusual arrangement of this unique psalm, we are going to learn, yay, a little Hebrew. A little of the Hebrew alphabet. So, normally preachers would say, fasten your seatbelt because they're about to scream at you and slick your hair back and blow your necktie over your shoulder. I'm not going to say fasten your seatbelt. I'm going to say strap on your mining gear. We're going to go on a little bit of an expedition. Here's a very simple foundation on Hebrew. Hebrew's written from right to left, the reverse of English. The Hebrew alphabet has 22 symbols for its letters. Our letters are really symbols too, but we don't call them that. It does not use upper or lower case. And originally, the Hebrew language consisted only of consonants. But over the centuries, the scribes, as they began to write it and not just say it, they devised a method of indicating what the vowel sounds should be by using small markings around the letters called vowel points or in Hebrew, nikud. Jesus even referred to the Hebrew alphabet in his famous Sermon on the Mount. So I'm not as far out on a tangent as you think I am right now. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. He said, I am, help me at the back, would you guys? I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle, shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Now we get the first part, or we should. A lot of people today act like the Old Testament was just blown up sky high when Jesus died on the cross. He paid for everything. You don't need to pay any attention. That's not true. Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the law. I didn't come to destroy the prophets. I came to fulfill it. It's still got value, but our relationship with it is totally different in the New Testament than it was in the Old. We get that verse, but this verse, this is strange. 
till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Now, if he'd have said not one E or not one W, we could have got that. But he's talking about the Hebrew alphabet. A jot is the tenth and smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet. We say jot in English. They would say yud, Y-O-D in Hebrew. It's the smallest letter. It was written kind of above the line. We call that a superscript. And it looks almost exactly like our apostrophe in, in, when they write it. A tittle is even smaller than a jot. It's just, it's not even a letter. It's just a letter extension. It's a simple little pen stroke that can differentiate one Hebrew letter from another. For example, here's the Hebrew letter resh. Resh is made with one smooth stroke. Go to that next picture if you would. Resh is made with one smooth stroke of the pen. But then there's another letter I want to show you, and that is the letter dalet. Dalet is made with two strokes of the pen. You see the difference? One, you just go like this, but the other, you make two strokes of the pen. And in doing so, it creates a tiny little extension. And the yellow arrow points to that little tiny extension. It's just like a little hump on the end of the letter. Jesus said, not one jot, yud, not one tittle, shall, uh, uh, an extension of a letter, shall pass away from the law till everything is fulfilled. Even the smallest letter of the law will be fulfilled. Jesus said, even the smallest stroke of the pen of the prophets will come to pass. You can take it to the bank. God's word will not change, not even one little bit, regardless of what men say, regardless of what governments say, regardless of what politicians and higher critics say. It doesn't matter. Not one little piece of the word of God will pass away. Now, you've got a handout tonight. Every Hebrew letter has a numerical value. And because every letter is also based on a symbol, each letter in the Hebrew alphabet has an image or an object associated with it. And we don't have that in our alphabet. When I say A, you either think I'm adding an exclamation on the end of a sentence in Canada or you think I just said the first letter of the alphabet, but you don't think of an image, you just think of the letter A. But in Hebrew, every letter has an image or an object associated with it, a symbol, if you would. And once we know that, and we know that Psalm 119, it's arranged amazingly so that each section of eight verses has one of these letters in order associated with it. Can I just tell you, Psalm 119 takes on a whole new meaning. I'll say it again. You don't need to know any of this to get saved. You don't need to know this. But if you love the word of God, this fires me up on all thrusters. I just think this is amazing. It's like the treasure hunt just started or the mining expedition just began. And it's amazing. 
the Hebrew language, we're not going to study it. For those of you that are freaking out, it's like, oh, no, there's going to be a test. I just know it. Church, pastors going into that weird Hebrew stuff. Nope, not at all. But the Hebrew language, which first revealed to us the truth of God on this planet thousands of years ago, is beautiful and powerful. John 14, verse 6. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, can we go to that next picture, please? No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's John 14 and verse 6. Jesus said, I am the way. Everyone say the way. Everyone say the truth. Everyone say the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So Jesus said, I'm the truth. And then he said this in John 17, verse 17, when he was praying in the garden. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So notice, the word of God is truth. And Jesus is the word made flesh. And that's why he could say, I am the truth. Now, this is unique, and I think it's, it's really interesting. Truth, the word truth in Hebrew is emet. And emet contains the first letter, the middle letter, and the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. The word truth is made up of three letters, emet. First letter, middle letter, last letter of the, Jew, of the Hebrew alphabet. And so Jewish sages, they say, the word of God contains everything from Aleph to Tav. We would say everything from A to Z. And Jesus said this in the very last book of your Bible. In fact, the very last chapter of your Bible. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Alpha and Omega are the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet because the New Testament was written down in Greek. We would say that Jesus said, I am A to Z, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. In Hebrew, Jesus said, I am Aleph and Tav. I am the beginning and the end. I am the first and the last. So what he was saying is, I am the truth. I'm everything in the entire alphabet. I am the word made flesh. So when you read and study the word, you are reading and studying the person of Jesus Christ. But it's better than that. When you love and obey the word, you are loving and obeying the person of Jesus Christ. So in that little handout, you've got those letters. They all look like squiggly lines to you. I know that. I hope that'll get us a tiny bit clearer. And we're just going to take this psalm. I told you, we don't have time to go verse by verse. My goodness, we'd be here all year long, all next year. We'd be here for a few years until there's another pandemic and they wouldn't allow us to meet. So let's just get it done. So here we go. We're going to take a bird's eye view. Aleph is the first letter of the alphabet. And if you have a King James Version Bible, or some of the new uh, translations do this, you'll see that little letter over verses 1 to verse 8. Because every letter in that section, if you read it in Hebrew, it begins with the first letter, Aleph. The first letter, Aleph, is associated with an image. It is depicted by an ox. 
a beast of burden. Because the word of God will carry you and lift life's heavy burdens if you will learn to get the word inside of you and rely on its promises and its provision. The word will bear your burdens. The word will take your burden of sin. The word will take your burdens of life. The opening word of this psalm is the word blessed. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of God. How do we receive God's blessing in our lives? How do we find strength to live for God every day? It's the question that perplexes new believers sometimes. They feel so weak. They feel like they fail every second day. How do we stay blessed. Here's how the psalmist answers it in the same verse. In fact, in the same phrase, he said, we are blessed by remaining undefiled by the world. Now the world will try to tell you that if you'll do things their way, they will bless you. Your life will be so great and so positive. But here's the truth. The world takes your blessings, but the word gives you blessing after blessing after blessing. When we seek God with our whole heart, it is then that we are able to keep his commandments. So remember the ox It's a bearer of burdens. That first letter, which is every verse in this section starts with that letter that indicates an ox, a bearer of burdens. Either we are going to bear the burden of our sin or we're going to let Jesus bear the burden of our sin. Either we are going to try to be Mr. Know-it-all and Mrs. Fix-it and we are going to try to bear every burden in life and we're going to be together and tough and a self-made man or woman. Either that or we're going to give God our burdens in life. I don't know about you. I like the second scenario far better. He can do a whole lot more with the burdens I carry than I could ever imagine. And a songwriter wrote years ago, if he carries the weight of the world upon his shoulders. I know my brother, I know my sister, that he can carry you. If you feel ashamed when you're in God's presence and you feel uncomfortable, you feel like something's off, something's amiss, here's what you need to do. Wherever it is in your life that you're not lined up to the Word of God, you need to line up to the Word of God. Because the word doesn't put burdens on you. The word takes burdens from you. Let me give you a suggestion. You need to make verse 5 your daily prayer. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. God, today, as I walk, as I decide, as I plan, as I work, as I relax, God, I just want my ways. I want everything I do and every way I walk, I want it to be directed by your word, by your commandments, by your statutes. That's a great prayer. And here's a great daily goal in verse 8. I will keep thy statutes. See, it's one thing to pray it. But it's another thing to decide it. 
The, the human being is an incredible creation of God. You've got a will that is so stubborn that if you ever make your mind up, the, you are going to have what you want. If it kills you, try it. You are that stubborn. Don't look at me, innocent. You are that stubborn. I asked your spouse. They said, oh, yeah. Every one of us, we've got that stubborn will in us. You know what? You need to make it your stubborn choice. You need to make it the determination of your will. Oh, God, I will keep thy statutes. You line your life up to the word of God, and you watch yourself walk through troubles and valleys, trials and tempests, and you don't even break a sweat. Why? Because God is reaching down, and he's helping you negotiate all of your burdens in life. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. The second letter of the Hebrew alphabet is bait. Everyone say bait. And bait uh, is found at the first of every verse between verse 9 and verse 16. And the second letter in the Hebrew alphabet, bait, it's depicted by a house. We, in the old language, they would say a tabernacle, but a house. And the word of God, it gives us directions on how to join God's family to become part of his household. And it also gives us even more important directions, but really it's all one. It gives us directions on how to make heaven our eternal home. And so this second letter of the alphabet, it's a house. That's the word picture over every verse in this second eight verses. The psalmist ended section one with the determination. I will keep thy statutes. But guess what? He's human just like you and me. And so he knows that although he's determined to keep the law of God, he's determined to obey the word of God, he knows that he won't do it perfectly. In fact, he probably can't do it perfectly. So he begins section two with a question. How can I stay clean? Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? How do I stay clean? How do I stay away from sin? How do I avoid temptation and snares from the devil? The answer, of course, is to make your heart a home for the word of God. And so you, you read down through those eight verses. He determines, I'm going to meditate on the word of God. Now, we've got a weird idea about meditation because so many Eastern religions have invaded Canada over the last few decades. And to them, meditation is thinking deeply about yourself, thinking deeply within your own self, thinking deeply with your own mind. Don't let that scare you away from meditating on the Word of God. Because when we meditate on the Word of God, biblical meditation is far different than Eastern meditation. Eastern meditation is sitting in the lotus position with your legs all crossed up, thinking about your navel, humming, um, and trying to get some kind of help. Uh, yeah, I am making fun. I'm sorry. I, I was, so sorry. 
That's Eastern meditation. That's worldly meditation. That's not what God's telling you to do. Think about yourself. You'll find the answer. You think about yourself long enough, you're going to find a garbage dump down in there. The Bible says your heart is desperately wicked. You never know. Who can know it? You don't know what you might find in there. So the answer is not meditating and reaching deep within yourself for the answer. That's humanism. That's Eastern mysticism. But when you meditate on the word of God, I will look to the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh down from the Lord who made heaven and earth. I'm not looking within myself. When I meditate on the word, I'm looking to God for help. That's why you need church. That's why, yeah, you need pastor sermons. That's why you need Bible study. It's because you need to get some word in you that you can kind of ruminate on a little bit tomorrow and think about a little bit on Friday and leading into the weekend that you can have a word that's kind of down inside of you that you can meditate on. He said, here's what I'm going to do to keep myself clean. I'm going to meditate on the Word. He said, I'm going to memorize the Word. He said, I will not forget it. And it's a good thing to memorize the Word. It's a good thing to commit some Scripture to memory. You say, I can't do that. You can do that. You've got every password for Facebook and Instagram and Pictogram or whatever that other thing is. You've got all those passwords memorized. You've got phone numbers don't let your cell phone ruin your brain by putting everything in there. And if you lose it, you're like a vegetable. Don't do that to yourself. God gave you a beautiful brain. You need to use it. And you can use it to get the word of God in you. You know why? Jesus used the word of God when he was tempted. He came back at the devil. He didn't say, wait a minute. I need to walk into Jerusalem and go to the synagogue and find that scripture in the scroll. He had it right like that. And he pushed back at the enemy with the word. You need to get a few choice verses locked up in your brain so when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord can just access that word and lift up a standard against him and push him back. That's what you need. He said, I'm going to meditate on the word. I'm going to memorize it. I'm going to respect it and rejoice in it. I'm going to talk about it and I'm going to walk in it. It's a good thing when Christians actually talk about the Bible once in a while. Oh, pastor, go back to the Hebrew alphabet. I wasn't convicted about that. It's a good thing when we're together. We're not just talking about all the problems we face and all the stuff that's going on and all the people we don't even like. It's a good thing when Christians get together that somebody's got a verse and somebody's got a little song and somebody's got a little word of encouragement and it's all based around getting the word of God inside of you. Don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. You've had those times when the devil was harassing you and a scripture came to your mind and you knocked him down and walked all over him and walked out of the room feeling good because the enemy cannot compete with the power of the word of God. And so this psalmist, he, he talks about seeking God with his whole heart because he knows my heart's deceitful. My heart is divided without the word to control it. So I have a question for you. Is your heart comfortable with the word of God, the commandments of God, the laws of God, the statutes of God, the principles of God. Is your heart comfortable with the word of God controlling your heart and making your choices? Or does something else make its home 
in your heart that pushes away the word of God. And no, it doesn't need to be something evil. It could just be something that you've put on a higher priority than the word of God. And when you do that, no wonder you feel uncomfortable or uneasy or unfamiliar in the presence of God. It's because the word isn't controlling your heart. But this psalmist, he said, no, no, not me. I'm going to allow the word to be in my heart. My heart is going to be a home for the word. This is a great verse to commit to memory. See, and we're talking about memorization. Everyone say Psalm 119, verse 11. Thy word have I hid in mine heart. No, don't finish it. Repeat it. Thy word have I hid in mine heart. A bunch of Pentecostals. That I might not sin against thee. And so you might be able to find it one more time. Everybody say the reference. Psalm 119. Verse 11. It's the 119.11 convenience store. Some of you, you'll get that six weeks from now. You want to, we need to go back to Hebrew. Everybody say Psalm 119.11. Let's say it together. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. That word is a good word to get in your heart because that will help you make a decision when you're being tempted to do something wrong. Perfect verse to commit to memory. Third letter of the Hebrew alphabet is Gimel. And Gimel is the first letter, if you read it in Hebrew, over verses 17 through 24. And the word Gimel, you know how the saints of God were sheep? Well, the word Gimel is depicted by a camel. Hmm, glad we're sheep. Camels are homely. Uh, but the Gimel is depicted by a camel. But here's the key. A person who learns to drink deeply from the word of God. You know what you do? You store up. You tank up. You fill up. And then you can endure dry and thirsty places in your spiritual life. You know how that feels. You're going along. Everything's doing fine. And it's like you hit a wall. And all of a sudden, you don't feel anything. You come to church and you think, everybody else seems to feel something. I don't feel anything. You're in a dry, thirsty place. And if you don't have the word, if you haven't drunk deeply from the word, you are going to be spiritually dehydrated. But just as the pillar of cloud and fire led Israel through the wilderness, that's how the word of God, supernatural, just as much as the pillar of cloud and fire, just like they led Israel through the wilderness, this supernatural book will lead you through the dry and thirsty times of your spiritual journey. Because let me give you a 411. The wilderness season happens to all of us at some point or another. You know why? Because you can't bypass it. There's no way to get to the promised land except by walking through the wilderness. But the wilderness is not God's 
punishment of you. It is God's preparation of you to conquer when you get to your promise. Do you realize that Israel saw miracles of God every one of the 40 years they wandered in the wilderness? That wasn't punishment. God was preparing them. He had to deal with some rebels, but he was raising up a new generation. He wasn't punishing them. He was getting them ready. While they were in the wilderness, they conquered whole nations. While they were in the wilderness, they had clothes that didn't wear out and shoes that didn't wear out. And they had supernatural bread from heaven every morning in the, the, what we call manna. They saw the miraculous in the wilderness. And if you'll learn to drink deeply from the word of God, you're going to be like a camel. You're going to have enough water stored up that you can walk for miles through a dry place and not backslide. You can walk for weeks through an empty, barren place and you just keep coming to church and saying, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. I don't feel great, but my God is great. I'm not doing so great, but my God is awesome and because you've got the word tanked up in your heart but in the wilderness season you got to be careful because like Israel in the wilderness in those dry times in those barren times we receive what we need from God not what we want from God has anybody here walked through a season like that God was faithful you had to say that by the time you got to the other end you got what you needed you didn't get what you wanted. If you'd have got what you wanted, it would have turned out a whole lot different. Enemies seem to appear on all sides when you're walking through a wilderness season. But learn to let the word be your table in the midst of trouble. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. This word will let you sit right up in the middle of enemies pressing in on every side and you can draw strength from it. It's like a deep drink of cold, clear water when you are so parched and thirsty. The psalmist says in these verses, he said, my soul, it, it breaketh. My soul is, is breaking. You felt like that. But when your soul is breaking, look for waters in the wilderness. And like Isaiah said, look for streams in the desert. And when you find a stream, it might be a song we get to singing on Sunday morning and the presence of God goes, Whoo! or it might be part of Pastor Jack's message some Sunday night and all of a sudden God quickens something to you. It might be sweet fellowship with the people of God with distancing, mask, notwithstanding. You might just feel something when you get to the church house on a particular day. Let me give you a piece of advice if you take it. You need to tank up on the presence of God and the word of God and the worship of God when you get to one of those moments. You don't know but what it will be dry and dusty and barren from Thursday through next Wednesday. You don't know, but if you feel something tonight, take every moment to reach up and take a deep drink of the Word of God because if you tank up, it will sustain you through the wilderness. You're in those dry times that we all face. Learn to make verse 18 your prayer. Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. God, I don't like what's going on in my life. This is the 
toughest, roughest season I've walked through to date. But God, show me something in your word today that will get me through this day. You don't have to live for God a year at a time. You don't have to live for Jesus a month at a time. You don't even have to serve him a week at a time. Here's what you need to learn. Can I do it for a day? Because if you can do it for a day, you're going to survive. If you can just do it for one day, you're going to get to tomorrow, and then you can make another decision. You can get a little more strength to do it for one day. That's why the Bible talks about praying for our daily bread. You don't have to do this and say, oh, my goodness, I I don't know if I can serve Jesus for the rest of this year. I don't know if I can do that. Who cares if you can do that? Serve him for today. Serve him for one day. And then tomorrow, make that same great decision and serve him for another day. I don't know if I can stand one more week of this valley. You don't have to. Just do it for one day. Just walk for one more day. And tomorrow, there will be fresh strength and new blessings and new wonders in the word of God for you. So whenever you get around the Bible, I don't care how old or how seasoned or how young or how inexperienced the preacher may be. When you get anywhere around the word of God, be looking for that stream of water to come flowing out of a sentence, to come flowing out of a scripture verse and say, God, I need some of that and snatch it up and drink deep because it will sustain you. Hmm. I don't think it'll ever make a bumper sticker, but be a camel. I think the cigarettes years ago damaged that irreparably. Fourth letter of the Hebrew alphabet is Dalet. And it covers the next eight verses from 25 to 32. And, and this doesn't start out very pleasant. It sounds like he's still in that valley. My soul cleaveth unto the dust. So we're, we're heading into it here. The fourth letter, Dalet, in the Hebrew alphabet, is depicted by an image, by a symbol. It's a door. It's a door. And the person who walks according to the word of God, they discover every day, in big and little decisions, God's direction for their life. You remember what the Word of God says. God can open a door that no man can shut and shut a door that no man can open. He can direct you through the doors of your life. But the psalmist starts with, my soul cleaves under the dust. In other words, I'm face down in the dirt is what he's saying. I don't know if you've ever felt like you were face down on the ground because you had stumbled. He says in this psalm, my soul is melting for heaviness. I am distressed. I'm despondent. It feels like everything is decaying inside God. It's hard to know which way to go or what to do during those times. But do not let your feelings lie to you or steal your faith because there is a door leading out of your dilemma if you just look for it. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it's a way of escape. Let me tell you, that door is the word of God. And so the psalmist prays here, quicken me. That means to revive something that's struggling or dead. Quicken me and strengthen me. How? According to thy word. That's a great prayer. God, today, strengthen me according to your word. I'm not trying to get my strength from anywhere else. Strengthen me according to thy word. And he makes a decision 
to defy his feelings. I have chosen the way of truth. I will run the way of thy commandments. You know what he's doing? I'm looking for God's door. I don't like where I am. I don't like this circumstance. I don't like this trial, but I'm looking for a way out. I'm looking for the door. So here's what he decided. Here's what you need to decide. No matter what anyone else decides to do, no matter how your circumstances turn out, and for sure, no matter how you may feel, say with the psalmist, I have decided I'm going to walk through the door of God's word. And if I do that enough times, it's going to find me. It's going to direct me the way out of my trial. Verse 31 is his declaration and it's mine. God, I have stuck unto thy testimonies. What an image that is. God, I'm stuck to your testimonies. You're stuck with me, Jesus, because I am stuck to your word. I am not letting go of it. I am not going to walk away from it. I won't betray it. I won't discount it. I'm stuck to your testimonies. So, God, you're stuck with me. I'm looking for a door. I'm going to serve you until I find the door. I'm going to serve you until I see the way out of my trouble. The next letter in the Hebrew alphabet is, hey. That's an easy one. Everyone say, hey. Hey. You'll get that seven weeks from tonight. Psalm 119, verse 33 to verse 40. And the word hey, the letter hey, rather, in the Hebrew alphabet is depicted by the symbol of a window. <clears throat> like we look through windows... The Word of God reveals God to us. This is like you're looking through a window and seeing God. And so the letter hey is actually associated with a Bible word that in English we would say behold. It's like you look at it. It's like you're looking through or into a window and you say behold. You see God when you examine his word, when you look through his word. And this psalmist, he says, you read through. We're just doing a flyover tonight. He promises, I'm going to keep God's word unto the end. Just because we start well doesn't mean we're going to end well. But just because you started badly doesn't mean you have to end badly. So here's what he says. Here's what he's teaching us. Ending well spiritually is always a result of living well every day. You don't have to make decisions for three years from now. Make a good decision to serve God and put him first today. Make a decision to obey the word of God today. That's why he prays specifically in Psalm 27, a beautiful verse, verse 4, he said, I want to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. That's what he's doing also in this passage. Teach me. Give me understanding. Look what he says. Make me go in your path. Here's a good one. He says, God, incline my heart toward your word. That word literally means to bend. God, bend my heart toward your word. There's a bunch of junk in my life that's trying to bend my heart away from your commandments. But God, here's my prayer. Bend my heart toward your word. Incline me toward your word. Turn my eyes away from vanity. What's vanity? Empty 
temporal things. So you've got to choose what your eyes are going to look at and what your eyes are going to look for. But you've also got to choose what your heart is going to long for. And that's why every Christian, under the sound of my voice, wherever you may be, you need a daily discipline of looking into the Word of God because that's your window on the Word. That's what you need. You need to look at your life through the Word, not through the world. James called this book the perfect law of liberty. When you long for the Word with your whole heart, then you will be quickened to live a righteous, holy life. Let's move on. We're going to do a couple more, and we'll pick up our Hebrew class next week. Look at your neighbor and say, you don't need any of this to get saved. You get yourself into the Word, and it'll keep you saved. You let the Word get into you, and it'll keep you saved. That's why we study the Scripture. The next letter of the Hebrew alphabet is Vav. Everyone say Vav. And this covers Psalm 119, verse 41 to 48. Every one of those verses, every one of those lines, they begin with this letter. And uh, this is the sixth letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And like every other letter, it has a picture. And the picture here is the picture of a nail. You see, the Word of God is so strong, it's like pounding a spike into a huge beam. The Word is so strong that you can hang your life and hang your eternity on its promises. Isaiah gave a messianic prophecy in chapter 22 and and verse 23 of his book. Isaiah 22 and 23. He gave a messianic prophecy. And, And he was referring to Eliakim in his day, but it's a messianic prophecy of the Lord Jesus. He said, he will be as a nail fastened in a sure place. And since Jesus is the word, you can trust Jesus and you can trust his word to hold you up. King Solomon said, there has not failed one word of all his good promise. And Paul said, we studied it just a few weeks ago, all of the promises of God in Jesus are yes, and in Jesus they are amen. Now the writer of this psalm, he doesn't have everything perfect in his life. He's oppressed by enemies who lie about him, slander him. They even threaten his life. While God's promises were secure, his enemies were trying to make him insecure. But here's what he did. He said, I'm going to hang on to the nail. I'm going to hang on to the word of God. So he hung on when the enemy was harassing him. Sometimes your greatest achievement today is just hanging on to the Word of God one more time. Don't don't put yourself down. All I did today was I hung on. That's good. If you're hanging on to the Word of God, that's a major accomplishment for a human being, and that didn't get you nothing. That got you one step closer to heaven. That's what that did. So this psalmist, he said, I hung on to the Word of God. He said, something else I did. (laughs) While God was speaking to me, I could hear the enemy's voice speaking. I had two voices talking to me. God's promises were secure. God was talking to me, but the enemy was trying to make me feel insecure by talking to me. But I hung on to the nail of the word of God. 
Oh, and I did something else too. I talked back to the enemy. <laughs> it's wonderful. He said, I will speak and I will not be ashamed. He studied the word of God. He got himself into the word of God so he would have, quote, wherewith to answer him that reproacheth me. I want to have something in my heart so when the enemy comes against me, I can talk back to him. You need to talk back to the devil. Don't let him tell you you're a failure and you're all washed up and your kids are never coming back to God and you're never going to be blessed. Don't let him get away with that. He's an empty-headed devil talking with an empty mouth, making empty threats. But you've got a God. Not one word has ever failed of all his good promise. He's a nail in a sure place. His word is like a nail fastened into a beam. And so this psalmist, he said, I trust in thy word. I hope in thy judgments. I keep thy law. I seek thy precepts. I speak of thy testimonies. I delight in thy commandments and I meditate in thy statutes. He used almost every term he had for the word of God in one section of eight verses. When the enemy comes after you, child of God, hold on and talk back don't just sit there and let the devil run ramshot over your life and mess you up. Hold on to the word of God and talk back to the devil. Greater is he that is in me than you who are in the world. Talk back to the devil and hang on to the word of God. Well, class, we will dismiss our Hebrew lesson in just a moment. But I got one more letter. The seventh letter of the Hebrew alphabet is Zayn. And Zayn is depicted, pictured by a sword. The word of God, as you well know, is the sword of the spirit. Every verse in this section of verses, this section of the psalm, verse 49 through 56, it begins with the Hebrew letter Zayn. A sword. The word is the sword of the spirit. This is not just some wimpy little guidebook. This is a weapon to beat the enemy back out of your life. Paul declared in 2 Corinthians 10, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. And we ended here last week. Paul said in Ephesians 6, the word of God is the sword of the spirit. You need to know your Bible if you are going to defeat the devil. Unless the word of God is taught in the church and obeyed in the home, we are only one generation from extinction. I don't care how many services we have a week. I don't care how nice our buildings may get. I don't know. I don't care how many great programs we may have or how many wonderful staff may serve our great congregation. I don't care how many members we have or don't have. Let me tell you something. It only takes one generation to leave the weapon of the Word of God behind, and we are just a religion. We are extinct as far as apostolic Christianity. But 
But if somebody will get their grip on the word of God, like one of David's men, he fought off the enemy until his hand froze around his sword. They had to pry his fingers off that weapon. I wonder if we've got some Christians in this generation that when the devil looks at them, he can't get between them and the word because their fingers are stuck to the weapon, the sword of the spirit. It's so much part of them and they're so much part of it that he can't separate them from the sword of the spirit. You need to know the word if you're going to defeat the devil. This psalmist, you read it, he was horrified. He says, horror hath taken hold of me. He was horrified to see people all around him that should have known better abandoning the word and the law of God. They mocked him. When he tried to correct them, when he tried to encourage them, you need to get back to the word. They mocked him. He said, they hold me in derision. But he said, this is amazing. He said, but I would not decline. That's what he says. I have not declined from thy law. Verse 51. The word decline means bend. The same as the word incline back in verse 36. It's just bent in a different direction. He said, God, bend my heart toward your word. But when it comes to the world, God, I refuse to bend my heart toward the world. I refuse to do it. I will not decline. I won't bend away from your law bending toward the world. But when he gets in trouble and when he's got enemies attacking him, and people are mocking his faith in God and in God's word. He does not waste his time attacking them. He doesn't log into his ancient Hebrew Facebook account and let them have it on anti-social media. He doesn't do that. He doesn't waste time attacking them. He just goes to prayer. He just stands on the promises of the word. And here's what he says. He prays this way. God, look at verse 52. I have remembered your word. And look at verse 55. And I have remembered your name. God, everybody else walking away. But Jesus, I've remembered your word and I've remembered your name. We got way more reason to pray that in the New Testament than that guy had to pray it 3,000 years ago. We've got way more reason to pray it in the New Testament. God, I have not forgotten your word and I have not forgotten your name. I've remembered your word and I've remembered your name. Now look at verse 49. So now God, since I remembered your word, you remember your word. You made a promise to me in your word and I haven't seen it come to pass yet. So God, you remember the word unto thy servant. God, I'm remembering your word. I'm claiming my promise every day. I'm bringing it to you in prayer over and over and over and over again. So God, since I'm remembering your word, I want to remind you, you remember your word. I am waiting for my healing. I am waiting for my miracle. I am waiting for my deliverance. I am waiting on my promise. God, I remember your word. You remember your word. There is nothing wrong with reminding God about what he said in his word. 
You, you need, we just, uh, Bishop William Parent passed away the other uh, week, and, and I miss him uh, dearly. He was such a great man of God. But he sat in a chair on our platform, and he said, if you've got a sickness in your body, get yourself a scripture from the Word of God. Write it on a piece of paper or underline it in your Bible. And when God says, what's that in your hand? You say, I've got your word of healing in my hand. I've got your word of promise in my hand. I've got your word of deliverance in my hand. Oh, my goodness. So there's nothing wrong with reminding God about what he said in his word. And there's sure nothing wrong with reminding the devil what God said in his word. I am the head and not the tail. I am above and not beneath. I am blessed in everything I do. There's nothing wrong with reminding the devil about the word of God too. The word is our hope and our comfort. And he says, I love this verse, mentioned it last week. Your word, thy statutes have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. Every once in a while, I just catch myself enjoying your word, singing your word, worshiping because of your word. It's my hope and my comfort and my song in times of battle. Years ago, Three months before the Six-Day War. A song was written in the nation of Israel. It's one of my favorite songs. I can't sing the Hebrew version, but I have the Hebrew version transcribed into English, and it's a treasure. It's called Jerusalem of Gold. It talks about the longing of the Jewish people. Because back then, they didn't have access to their own temple mount. They didn't have access to the city of Jerusalem like they do now. And it was a longing, it was a a longing song, longing for Jerusalem of gold, the, the sunlight, the sunsets glistening off those beautiful stone walls. Three months later, the Six Day War broke out. And story after story said that those Israeli boys and those Israeli women that were serving in their armed forces, in the tanks and in the trenches, up on the mountains, They were singing that song, Jerusalem of gold. I won't forget Jerusalem. I'm longing for Jerusalem of gold. They sang it. They say that was the song that inspired Israel. And they won the six-day war. And they retook Jerusalem and the control of the Temple Mount. And the rest is history. And after that got all done, you know what they did? They added a verse saying, now we're standing on the Temple Mount. Now we can see Jerusalem. And they added a verse. That's your privilege when you know and love and worship and sing, all centered around the Word of God. God's going to privilege some of you dear people to write another verse to that song you've been singing for the Word of God. He's going to give you the privilege of adding one more stanza to that promise that you've been praying over and claiming. And that's why the psalmist ends this section, and I'll end this lesson with these powerful words. Verse 56, This I had... Because I kept thy precepts. 
everything I have, everything I am, every blessing that you could name and say that's part of his life, I have it all because I have kept the precepts of the word of God, which is to say, Jesus has been so good to me and he has never failed me and his word has never let me down. And if you feel that way in closing, I'd like you to lift up your hands and lift up your voice and one more time at the end of Bible study. I'd like you to thank God for the power and the promise of his word. I'd like you to thank God for how he's walked with you through deserts and valleys, how he's walked with you through trials and temptations. You are built on the word. You are covered by the word. You are strengthened by the word. Oh God, your words, they've been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. I'm happy about being a Christian. I'm happy about keeping the commandments of God. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Clap your hands to the Lord. Thank him for the wonderful word. Thank him for the Bible. Thank him for the scripture. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.